Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. So you excited? Ready for the word? Okay, Romans 1 verses 16 to 17, we're going to read. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Come on, somebody. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You know, Apostle Paul, here he declares, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Do you know the Greek word for gospel, it literally means good news. In other words, what Apostle Paul was doing here, he was declaring, I am not ashamed of the good news. I am not ashamed of the good news. Does anybody here likes good news? Likes to hear good news? Well, I've got a message they want to preach. You can call this message, there is good news. There is good news. You know, in Romans 1, 2, the Bible says, Paul says, he has sent me to tell his good news to the people. He has sent me to tell the good news to the people. You know, Paul, he was a good news bringer. And I love that the theme of the conference is harvest. You know, and it's amazing. You know, we're all believing for a harvest. We all want harvest on our lives. We want to see harvest in our cities, in our suburbs, in our nation. But we won't see harvest if we don't bring good news. You know what good news they do? They plant seeds. And what do seeds do? They bring harvest. Come on, let's get more excited. What do they do? They bring harvest. You know, good news are exciting, aren't they? But reality is that we live in a world that is full of bad news. Yes, it is full of bad news. All we need to do is read the news every morning and you'll find a lot of bad news. I mean, there are bad news about politics, about corruption, about economy, about government, about pandemics, I mean, COVID, monkeypox, you name it. It's bad news everywhere. But did you know that our brains, they're wired to pay more attention to bad news? In fact, scientists, they call it a negative effect. Listen to this. They say that a recent study states that just three minutes of negative news in the morning can ruin your mood for the rest of the day. I mean, can you believe this? Just three minutes of reading the news in the morning, the bad news, they can ruin your whole day. I mean, our people am guilty of this because I do read the news often. Anybody else here? Yeah, three people, the left, rest of you lying, I'm pretty sure. But I remember when COVID just hit. I mean, that was not far ago. When COVID hit and, you know, there's a lot of things happening, a lot of bad news, bad news after bad news. But one morning, I was reading the news, people, and on the news... I was one of the first people to find out that we were about to run out of toilet paper. 
And I remember it was early in the morning, you know, I read the news and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm like, this is like a repeat from my life in Bulgaria. I better do something about it. So what I did, I just jumped in my car and drove to Coles. And then people, I drove to another coast. And I bought some more. Then I may have gone to another coast. Then I even stopped on the way back to Woolies and Audi and uh, IGA and my local grocery shop. While I was calling every single person I know in my world to tell them to do, go and do the same. I'm sorry, I probably was the reason that a lot of other people didn't have a toilet paper. But you know what? That day was ruined. My whole day was ruined with searching for a toilet paper. I was on a mission and I still have a lot of toilet paper. If you want, I'll bring it. But true story, the very next day, my sister-in-law, she calls me and she's like, Katie, she's like, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, what? She's like, I read the news. And I'm like, what now? And she's like, well, they were saying that we're about to run out of all the cleaning sprays and sanitizers. And I'm like, oh my Lord. But then she said, Katie, she said, don't worry, because I found a factory. She said, I've been searching all morning and now found this factory. I'm like, awesome. I'm like, so what happened? And she's like, I just bought 100 liters of concentrated cleaning spray. True story, people. And she's saying, when you do, they loot it, each liter makes another 10 liters of a cleaning spray. And then I bought another 100 liters of sanitizers. I'm like, wow, that's amazing. We were like, we had it all sorted. Ladies and, and ladies, not gentlemen, three. Ladies and three gentlemen, I want to say that right now, I've got enough cleaning spray to last me for the next 500 years. 500 years. But you know what? Bad news. They caused us to panic buy, isn't it? We were panic buying. And the truth is that bad news, they will cause you to panic. They will cause you to panic. You know, bad news, they can bring fear, anxiety, worry, stress, depression, but praise God for His Word, because the Bible says that His Word is full of good news. It's full of blessings. It is full of promises. Come on, somebody. It is full of good news. The Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away, but His Word remains the same. Come on, let's get excited for His Word, for the good news that God brings in our lives. Good news. You know, I love in the Scripture, if you go back, Bible says, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. In other words, what Paul was saying here is that good news, there for everyone, not just for few people, not just for the few chosen, holy, godly, perfect Christians. Guess what? They don't exist. But the Bible says today for every single person, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what happened in the past, there are good news for you 
and me. There for the broken, there for the hurting, there for the oppressed, for the depressed, for everyone. In fact, prophet Isaiah, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom to the captives and freedom to prisoners. Good news are for everyone. Come on, good news are for every single person, even for your neighbor. Good news are for everyone. But in order for us to receive it, we need to believe it. You know, good news, the first thought this morning is, good news, they bring faith. Are you with me? Good news, they bring faith. You know, when Apostle, Apostle Paul said, you know, I'm not ashamed of the good news. It is the power of God, brings salvation to everyone. But then he says, who believes? Everyone who believes. Then in the next verse, he says that the righteous will live by faith. Good news, they bring faith. No, it doesn't say that the righteous man will live by facts or statistics or logic. No, it says the righteous will live by faith. Come on. The righteous will live by faith. You know, good news, they bring faith. Bad news, they bring fear. They bring worry. They bring confusion. But good news, they bring faith. You know, when Apostle Paul was saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. He didn't just mean that he was not ashamed or embarrassed to preach the gospel. He wasn't just saying, oh, I'm not ashamed or embarrassed. But he was also saying, I am not afraid to preach the gospel. I am not afraid to preach the good news. You see, back in Bible times, it was actually very different to nowadays. See, back in Bible times, Christians, they would lose their faith if they preached the gospel, if they shared the good news of Jesus. And here we have Apostle Paul saying, declaring, I am not ashamed. In other words, I am not afraid. You know what? I'm going to share in the next session a little bit more. But the interesting thing is that, you know, persecution wasn't just back in Bible times. You know, the reason I came to study in Bible college was because Hillsong College sponsored me. Because my life was quite in danger in Bulgaria. My family was severely persecuted because my dad was a pastor. And I'm going to share a little bit in the next session about this. You know, and I know a little bit about persecution. And I know what it means to stand boldly and preach the gospel. Watch my father, watch my family, watch my siblings. You know, in fact, my husband, just a couple of weeks ago, he was in India. And he preached there on a very big conference. And he was saying, you know, the first day, the Holy Spirit literally came and people were just on the floor. Things were happening. And it was absolutely a revival, outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then he said, but the very next day, a police stormed in the building. 
And they were after him. They've heard that he was this Westerner guy, which if you know my husband, he's very blonde. He's very tall. He looks very different. You know, and he said, they had to hide me. I had to run for my life. Praise God, he came back. He didn't get arrested. He didn't get, you know, um, didn't get asked for ransom or anything like that. You know, even in nowadays, there's still persecution. And here we have Apostle Paul declaring, I am not ashamed. Come on, somebody. I am not ashamed. Did you know that so many amazing men in the Bible, they died preaching the good news. They died for their faith. The Bible says that John the Baptist, he was beheaded. Jesus was crucified. Stephen was stoned. James was slain. Barnabas was burnt alive. James, Jesus' brother, he was beaten to death. Mark was dragged to death. Peter was crucified. Andrew was crucified. Thomas and Antipas was burned alive. Can you imagine this? Luke was hanged and even Paul, later on, he was beheaded for his faith. And here we have Paul declaring, I am not ashamed. Come on, somebody. I am not ashamed. Which was a very brave statement. It was a very bold statement to make. Because if you know the story of Paul, which he was so before he became Paul, he was one of the men that persecuted Christians, who killed Christians. The Bible says that he approved of Stephen's stoning. And here we have this man who was a Christian persecutor, who was a Christian executor. He boldly declares, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of my past. I am not ashamed of my present. I am not ashamed of my future. But you know, the problem goes is that we have got too many ashamed Christians. We have too many ashamed Christians who live in shame, who live in fear, in regret of what they've done or what somebody else did to them. They live in shame. They live in pain. You know, the enemy, sole time weapon is to bring shame on your life, to shame you, to limit you, to stop you from being who you're called to be, to stop you from walking into the plans and purposes of your life, into your destiny. There's so many Christians that live in shame. In fact, when I first came to Australia, I'll never forget. You know, um, I came here over 21 years ago. And the truth is, I actually didn't speak English. True story. I came, I couldn't really understand anything. People were talking. And um, you didn't speak much English. And my accent was terrible. It still is. hasn't changed. Apparently, tried to lose it. It's not working. Try to fake Australian language, accents, fair dinkum, how are you? I mean, come on, English is so messed up, people. You may laugh at me, I speak five languages. English is messed up. You try to learn English and to make sense of it. You know, I remember when I first came to Australia, I would go to the shops and everyone would be like, can I help you? Can I help you? We don't do that in Bulgaria. Can I help you? And I'm like, these people sound really polite, but they don't really look polite. They're like, can I help you? Can I help you? And it took me a while to understand that this actually means go away. Go away. 
And um, now I just shake my head when I go, can I help you? You don't want to help me. What about, you know, pick your brain. Come on, somebody. What is that statement? Pick your brain. Mark, the last thing I want is someone to come at me with a pick at my brain. Pick your brain. Isn't that crazy? Oh, this flicks my switch. Come on, Mark. I didn't know the Australians had a switch. Where's your switch? Oh, you don't flick my switch. Oh, this flicks my switch. And it took me a while to understand. Oh, my all-time favorite is the elephant is in the room. Come on, somebody. The elephant is in the room. And I'm like, where the heck is this elephant? I didn't know Australia had elephants. I know there's dingoes and kangaroos. The elephant is in the room. And if nothing else works, just take a chill pill. Come on, somebody, take a chill pill. But I remember when I first arrived, you know, I didn't speak much English, and um, I would be in Hillsong Church. Back day, Darlene Czech used to lead worship, and, you know, I came, and I was a singer, a singer, singer, singer. You know, I can sing, I still can, but nobody cares in Newcastle. And, you know, I was a singer. And I remember, you know, I was in Bible college and we were singing all these amazing songs and I had no idea what the words were. I just make my own words. Anybody else here makes their own words in worship? Anybody else thinks that their words are better than the ones we sing? Yes. And I was singing, I would just make my own words and it was awesome, you know. And I remember my first year, towards the end of my first year, I got asked to worship lead in our chapel at college. I mean, come on, somebody, this is a big deal. I was singing on the same platform where Darling Czech used to sing and Reuben Morgan and all the amazing men and women of the house. And I'm like, this is awesome. I'm just going to kill it. You know, and my moment came to shine, shine conference. And I remember I got up on stage. You know, you got to understand in Hillsong, praise and worship is from four songs. You've got two praise songs. And two worship songs. Quite simple, easy. That's what we do in our church. We always have four songs in our worship set. The two praise songs, they're like fast, happy, clappy songs. Everyone just claps, jumps. There's a lot of noise. It's all happening. Awesome. I nailed it. It was insane. People were like, wow, this is good. And then, see the two worship songs, they'd be the slower ones, where this is a time where you do serious business with God. You know, I stuck your lazy hands like we did this morning. And we're like, just you and God and the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Get my theology right. And, you know, it's where you just have the presence of God. And it's just quiet a moment. It is the spiritual moment. You know, everyone's got their hands raised. And, and I remember, you know, when the worship started, I was leading a song. You know, here was Katie Samuels leading a song. And the song went like this. Some of you may remember this song. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God. It's all going amazing. You're all together lovely. All together lovely. All together. Anyways. And then we went to the bridge. And the bridge says, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon that cross. 
When you go to the bridge, this is like the culmination of the song. So I go, I'll never know how much it cost to see myself upon that cross. And I'm going for it with the closed eyes. I'll never know how much it cost to see myself upon that cross. I never know. And I'm going for it. And I'm like, this is awesome. I've got my eyes closed. And at some point, I decided to open one eye. And everyone was laughing. I'll tell you, people were not in worship. They did not have their hands raised. They were laughing. They were, and I'm like, you can imagine the humiliation I experienced in that moment. The shame. Well, you know, this was my first and last time I ever led worship in our church. I got fired that day, I must say. Got absolutely fired. But no, girls, shame can disqualify you. Shame can completely take you out. You know, the enemy's all-time weapon is to bring shame. But shame is not from God. No way in the Bible says that God wants to shame you. So the enemy wants to shame you. Shame is not from God. In fact, if you remember the very first story in the Bible where sin originated, you know, the Bible says that it was followed by shame. When Adam and Eve, they were in the garden. They were in the garden. The Bible says, if we read in Genesis 2, verse 25, it says that Adam and his wife were both naked. Imagine that. And they felt no shame. How good is this? They were all naked. But they felt no shame. Bron agrees. Just pray for you after that. <laughs> Next minute, Sunday morning. Let's come free to church. No shame. <laughs> but something happened immediately after that verse. The Bible says that the enemy appeared in the garden under the form of a snake. And what he did, he made Adam and Eve eat from the tree. The Bible says that when they ate from the tree, in Genesis 3 verse 7, it says that the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And then he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree? And then he said, well, the woman you gave me, of course, they always blame us. He, she told me. And then God asked the woman, well, who told you? And she's like, well, the snake. He told me to eat. You know, the interesting thing is that the Bible says that they hid. As soon as they ate from their fruit, as soon as the enemy tempted them, they actually experienced shame for a first time. They hid. They hid because they realized that they were naked. First, they had no shame. But now, after the enemy appeared, they hid. You see, girls, shame, the first thing that will make you do is will make you hide. It will make you hide. It will make you cave in. It will make you cover up. 
It will make you feel unworthy, not good enough, not worthy enough. It will isolate you. It will disconnect you. It will completely alienate you. I know that word. See, shame will make you hide. And in verse 11, when God asked them, who told you that you were naked? Immediately, they began to blame each other. Well, the woman told me, the snake told me, she told me, he told me. The second thing that shame will make you do, it will make you blame. It will make you blame others. It will make you blame other people for where you're at in life. It will make you blame circumstances, people, family, friends. You know, shame is dangerous. Shame can completely take you out. Shame can completely disconnect you. You know, I remember when I first started preaching, I uh, was preaching and sounded like this. Still the same. But there was always a man in church that he would come after every single service and he would say to me, Katie, I have no idea what you preached about. I can't understand you. I'm like, oh, great, thanks. For the... What's that? Seriously. Interesting. And he'll say, I um, don't even find your jokes funny. I don't even know what you preached on. And I'll have all these people that will come in a great word, Pastor, thank you so much. And you see people's lives being touched by God. But that one person, every single time I will preach, will come to me and say, Katie, I don't get it. I don't get it. Thank you, guys. You're so nice. You know, and that one voice had a lot of power over me. There were times that I would go at home and I would feel ashamed. I want to hide and I would blame and I would feel ashamed again. And I questioned my calling and I began to question my purpose. And I began to question if I was really good enough and worthy enough to preach. And you know what shame will do? Do exactly the same in your life. Often just one voice one person, one situation, one problem can arise in your life and completely take you out. But we are called not to be ashamed, Christians, but to be shameless, unafraid, unashamed. Come on, somebody. I am not ashamed. Come on. I am not ashamed. You will cause it to hide. You will cause it to blame. But it will also... Cause you to run away from his presence. Shame will cause you to run away from God's presence. In verse 8, it says that when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, Adam and Eve, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They hid themselves from God. You know, we'll hide from people, but we also will hide from God. When we are ashamed, often we'll feel unworthy, unholy. We'll feel like as if we don't deserve to be under his presence, as if we don't deserve to be under his will, as if we're not good enough, we are not worthy enough, that we're not capable enough. But did you know that God knows about your shame? God knows about your shame. In, in fact, in Hebrews 4.13, it says that nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. And also, he knows about your shame, but he still loves you. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own love towards us. That while we were sinners, he died for us. Not only that, but the Bible says that he also will never leave us and forsake us. Regardless of what we've done, 
regardless of where we've been, regardless of our past mistakes, our failures, our insecurities, God will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says that even when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, He will be with us. Don't be a prisoner of shame. Don't let shame rob you from your future, from your destiny. And somebody here, you need to come out. Come out from that shameful situation. Stop hiding. Stop blaming other people. Stop running away from His presence. Come on, somebody. Come out. Come out. It is time to shame your shame. Shame the shame. Come on, I think I'm preaching to someone here. Maybe you came here this morning and you feel that it was a circumstance or a challenge that took away your potential, that took away your capacity, robbed you from your dreams, robbed you from your vision, robbed you from your purpose. But friend, I want to tell you that this is not the time to shrink back, to pull away, to live in hiding, live in isolation. But it is time to step to come out, to shame that shame. Come on, somebody, shame that shame. Isaiah 61, 7, it says, instead of shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit, come on, somebody, a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. Everlasting joy will be yours. Come on, somebody. Everlasting joy will be yours. Shame that shame. You know, good news, they bring faith, but they also bring joy. Good news brings joy. Brings joy. You know, Paul, later on in Romans 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. I mean, what an exciting verse. We read this and we're like, awesome, easy done. But it's not easy done. Not if you're living in hiding. Not if you're living in blame and in hurt and disappointment. Rejoicing is hard. But Paul doesn't just suggest that we should rejoice. But he commands us to rejoice. He says rejoice. And then he repeats it again. And again, I will say rejoice. Did you know every time the Bible repeats something twice, that means it's important. Rejoice. And again, I will say, rejoice. The interesting thing is that when, when Paul wrote that scripture, he was actually in prison. He was in house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier. And from that house arrest, he says, rejoice. I mean, how crazy is this? Rejoice. Come on, somebody. Rejoice. Come on, don't let your limitations stop you. Don't let them rob you from your joy. Don't let them rob you of your purpose. But maybe somebody here today, you need to choose to rejoice. Make a choice to rejoice. Come on, let's give a joyful clap. Yes, rejoice. Get excited. Let's rejoice. 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 And you say, Kelly, that's easy. But you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what's happening in my life. You have no idea about the diagnosis that I've been given. You have no idea about my family situation. You have no idea about my children, about my business, about what I'm facing. You have no idea. It's easy said, but I can't rejoice. I can't. 
And maybe there are people here, you feel exactly that way. You feel like your joy has been ripped apart, ripped away from your life. You feel like there's nothing else left to rejoice. You know, almost like you're afraid to rejoice. No, fear is a thief. Fear is a thief. You know, the Psalm 112.7, it says that the righteous man will have no fear of bad news. But their hearts, their heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. They're secure. They will have no fear. And listen to this. At the end, it says that in the end, they will look in triumph of their foes. At the end, they will rejoice. At the end, they will be filled with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, it says that the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Somebody here, you need a supernatural joy. Supernatural joy. Even if you find yourself in a situation where you can't rejoice anymore, maybe make a choice to rejoice. Because I guarantee you that it will completely turn away your situation. You know, I remember when some of you know our story. I think Bron did a pretty huge description on my life in one of her Instagram posts. It's pretty awesome. And a lot of you are familiar. We've lost two children. I actually don't like the word lost and I don't use it. But two of our kids passed away because I know that my kids are not lost. They're in heaven with Jesus. When you lose something, we don't know, you don't know where that thing is, but I know where my kids are. You know, I've got a 17-year-old girl, Jay, at home. I've got a 14-year-old boy. Um, I know I was one when I had them. And I have a seven-year-old little girl, Aria. But my second-born son, little Noah, he was born quite premature and he died at birth, which was quite tragic. And we had a beautiful funeral. He went to be with Jesus straight away. And then um, my fourth child, little Zach Tiger, he was again born, born premature. And um, again, a little bit early, and he was in hospital. And Zach was doing amazing, growing, you know, doing what little preemie babies were doing. And we got to be with him for three months and watch him grow, watch him develop. And every day we'll go and pray over him and, and believe for his little life. But Zach, quite unexpectedly, he passed away at a three-month mark. And you can imagine, you know, it was hard having another funeral, saying goodbye to another precious life, another precious child. You know, we have a saying that says, the children are our future. But what happens when they're gone? I felt like my future was robbed. I felt like I've lost purpose. I've lost my future. And I remember after this, you know, we saw a lot of specialists, uh, every single specialist under the sun, you name them. And, you know, the, I can't even remember their names. They're all finished with the ologist, 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 you know, hematologist, rheumatologist, you know, gynecologist, it's like whatever. And I went to quite a few of them, and they all said, you cannot have any more kids. You, it's very dangerous for your body, and your child will die. There's only like 5% or 10% chance that you can have another child. And we made a decision that we're not going to have any more kids. And I'm like, I had Jay and Tash, and I thought, this is it. You know, God, I'm grateful and happy. But I remember a year later, I had a dream. God gave me a dream, and it was a dream of a little child. And in the dream, the child said to me, Mommy, you can have me if you want. Hello. <laughs> Everything in me 
wanted to say, I can't do it. I can't go and do this again. And that dream kept repeating, Mommy, you can have me if you want me. It was, you know, pretty, pretty crazy. And I shared that dream with Sanger. And I was thinking that he'll shut it down. And Mike was like, babe, it's from the enemy. It's from the devil. You know, just don't listen to this. And I'm, babe, can you believe I get this dream? And this is the dream. And when I shared this dream with him twice, he immediately began to cry. And he said to me, this is our promise. This is something that God is giving us. You know, and we need to actually have another baby. And we prayed. A few months later, we conceived. And I remember I went to see my perinatologist, who is like the highest obstetrician in Westmead Hospital. She knew my whole case very well. She knew every single death that I've gone through and every child that I had and my pregnancy problems. I will never forget when I went into her office. She looked at me and she said, okay, we're going to do an ultrasound. She's like, this is the baby's heartbeat. The baby measures very well. But then she turned to me and she said, Clementina, this is my real name, just so, so you know. Clementina, she said, the baby's there, the heart is beating, the baby's healthy. Do not get excited. She said, do not get excited for this baby. Here's the thing, what I want you to do, I want you to go home and forget that you're pregnant. Now, how can you forget you're pregnant, people? If you've ever been pregnant, you know there's morning sickness, there's cravings, there's things happening. You get angry, you get hangry, you get everything. And I'm like, I can't forget that I'm pregnant. And then she said, no, 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 no. She's like, forget it, you're pregnant. Do not buy anything for this baby. Do not name this baby. Do not think about this baby. Disconnect yourself from your baby. Go hug your other kids. Hug your husband. Our priority is your life. True story. This is what she said. Do not get excited. Promise me. And I'm sitting there. I'm not. Promise you. But you know what? I walked out of her office that day. And I felt completely defeated. Completely depressed. And I had tears running down my eyes. It's like all of again, I remembered, you know, my baby's dead and everything bad that has happened in the past. And I remember I went in my car and I began to weep. I began to cry. But in that moment, I heard the Holy Spirit whisper in my heart, rejoice, rejoice. And again, I will say rejoice. Come on, somebody. Rejoice. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. It doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what people did to you. It doesn't matter what past mistakes you've made. Rejoice. Come on, somebody. The enemy will try to steal your joy. But we are Christians. Then we need to make a decision to rejoice. Rejoice. You know what I did that day? I went to the shops and I bought my little girl Aria's first outfit. Because I knew that my God, if he said it, he would do it. If he said it, he would do it. I'm going to ask the praise and worship to come and join me. Good news, they bring joy. Good news, they bring faith. But good news, they also bring peace. Good news, come on somebody, they bring peace. You know, bad news. They bring worry, stress, confusion. Good news. They bring peace. They bring order. They bring peace. The Bible says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
John 16 verse 33 it says I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in me you may have peace and listen to what it says it says that in this world you will have trouble come on somebody we all know that in this world you will have trouble but in me you have peace in this world you have problems but in me you have peace in this world you have disappointment but in me you have peace and then he says but take heart for I have overcome this world come on somebody I have overcome your worries your stress your problems your anxiety your depression your condition anything that's limiting you I am the God who can overcome there is nothing too little there is nothing too impossible there is nothing too invisible for me that I cannot fix that I cannot do the Bible says that he who is faithful he can do it he who has begun a good work in us what does it say he can bring it to completion in me you have peace you know our peace is in Jesus he says I'm Jehovah Shalom I'm the God your peace I'm Jehovah Shalom I'm the God that can bring order in your confusion in your chaos in your mess I can bring peace I can bring peace right now there are people that you need peace right now that you need to make peace with God peace with your past peace with your challenges peace with those situations that have been pulling you away pulling you back peace with your insecurity peace with your limitation peace with your mind peace with anything that is causing you to have turmoil to live in confusion to live in worry in stress you don't have to lose sleep anymore you don't have to lose your peace anymore you don't have to wake up in the morning in anxiety and depression but the Lord God is saying I am your Jehovah the God of peace Jehovah Shalom I'm speaking the name of God Jehovah Shalom come on somebody some of you you need to receive his name right now you need to receive his supernatural peace over your life over your situation don't sit back and wait for a better day to come how do you know that a better day is going to come this is your day come on the bible says this is the day that the lord has made we will rejoice and be glad i am your jehovah shalom the god of peace but not only that but it says i am jehovah rapha the god who heals you jehovah jireh the god your provider Jehovah Nisi, the God, your banner. You see, our God, He's everything you need Him to be. In fact, the Bible says, I am your advocate. I am your almighty Alpha. I'm Amen, anointed one, author and perfecter of our faith, beginning, branch, bread of life, bridegroom, comforter, consolation, come on, cornerstone, day spring, deliverer, Emmanuel, everlasting father, faithful and true, foundation, fountain, friend, he's your God, your governor, your great 
shepherd, your guide, the head of the church, Holy One, Jesus, the King of Kings, Lamb of God. He's your life, light of the world, Lord of Lords, Mediator, Messiah, Mighty God, Physician, Healer, Prince of Peace, Ransom, Redeemer, Refuge, Resurrection Power is in Him. He's your rock, your Savior, your Son of God, your truth, your way. He's the Word and He's the good news. Come on, somebody. He's your good news. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.